You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Over these last few weeks, we've been carefully focusing on a momentary glimpse of what the first Christian community looked like as reflected through an intriguing, albeit brief, passage from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. If you don't remember it, here it is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. From this compelling snapshot, we're given a glimpse into what it means to be the church. Now, we've already explored what it means to be devoted to God's word, the apostles' teaching, what it means to be devoted to fellowship, or that word koinonia. And last week we looked at what it means to be devoted to breaking bread together, the practice of hospitality as centered and shaped by the sacrament of Holy Communion. Today, we turn our attention to what it means to be devoted to prayer. In order to better tease out the answer to that question, let us listen to another passage from Acts in which we are able to eavesdrop on an actual prayer meeting of the early church. Now we're gonna be coming into the middle of something that's happened. So here's what you need to know as we hear this passage read aloud. The apostles, Peter and John, had just been arrested for preaching the gospel in public. After a little jail time, a heated inquisition, and some explicit threats, Peter and John have been released, having been ordered by the Sanhedrin, that is the religious leadership, never to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus again. Let's now hear what happened next. Good morning, Grace. Please join me in reading today's scripture, which is Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Prayer was one of the four pillars of devotion and practice for the infant body of Christ. 
And therefore, the same ought to be true of us as the church today. So let's begin by considering what is prayer? Simply put, prayer is a conversation, a conversation with God. To pray is to reach out and communicate with the creator and sovereign of all life that exists, of universes upon universes, of this world of which we are a part, and its nations of which America is but one of many. When we talk to God, we can say anything. There is no need, no need to hold back in our communication with the Lord. We can express our frustrations, our doubts, even our anger. Our Heavenly Father wants to hear it all. Our Heavenly Father knows it all already, for the Lord is God. There is nothing we can hide or keep from the Lord. In fact, God alone has the ability to read our mind and our heart and to help us to understand and to put into words whatever we are processing. God alone, through the Holy Spirit, comprehends and hears even the sighs and groans of thoughts and feelings we experience but are beyond putting into words. This is one aspect that makes prayer unique from all other conversations we have. For when we pray, we are speaking to the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. This is one of the reasons, if you will, the blessings of prayer as we come to know the Lord better, we come to better know and understand ourselves. Now, as with any healthy conversation, prayer is, of course, a two-way street. While we can and we should share all that is on our mind and heart with God, it is equally important that we listen as well. You might ask, well, how do we listen? How does God speak to us through prayer? Biblically, what we witness again and again is that God primarily speaks to us through his word and by his spirit. Well, what about speaking through visions and dreams? Don't we see that in the Bible? What about speaking through other people? Don't we see that too, biblically? We certainly see evidence of God speaking in this way to his people through visions and dreams and through others. But let us also keep in mind that more often than not, God speaks in this way to and through those who are saturated, who saturate themselves with, again, both his word and his spirit. What I'm saying is we shouldn't constantly be looking for a burning bush for that big life-changing conversation with God if we have no time or patience to invest in daily speaking and listening to the Lord through his word and his spirit. Now we're looking at the story of Acts today because there are 30 references alone to prayer in this book from the Bible. In fact, more than any other book, at least in the New Testament, the book of Acts demonstrates both the posture and the power of prayer. So let's take our chosen passage for today as an example. What can we learn about being devoted to prayer from Acts chapter 4? Well, after their release from the first recorded incident of persecution by the religious leadership, Peter and John return to the rest of the believers, as you heard, and report the threats that have been made against the fledgling church. And those gather around respond to this news by raising their voices together in prayer. Now, before we dive into the content of their prayer, let's notice two things. First, while prayer involves talking with God, the conversation, as we see here, is not always private. Often, it is public. Meaning, while we can and we should pray on our own, of course, we should be equally open and committed to praying together. We'll come back to this point again shortly, but for now, let's just hold on to this. Prayer is not just an individual matter. It's not just a conversation between me and God. 
Prayer, properly understood, is a shared conversation between God and his people. This is why we lift each other up in prayer. I mean, when someone has a need that they ask for prayer for, we don't say, well, that's between you and the Lord. Why are you bothering me? No, we understand that a conversation is enhanced by more people joining in, offering their voices, their perspectives, and their insights. In fact, our ability to listen and hear from God through prayer is amplified when we pray not on our own, but in and through our shared community. A second observation worth noting here is that praying together was the first response for these followers of Jesus. Now, this is in stark contrast to how many approach prayer today within the church. For lots of us who profess to follow Christ, turning to Jesus through prayer is our last resort, not our first response, after we've tried to resolve things on our own. After we have exhausted all other options, then we come before our Heavenly Father to talk. But my, my friends, if Jesus is who we proclaim him to be, if we are putting our faith, our very life, in Christ's hands, then why wouldn't Jesus be the first person we'd always be speaking to rather than the last? From the very beginning, prayer has been primary for followers of Jesus. As we read through the whole story of Acts, in fact, Prayer, we'll see, is the go-to practice that informed everything they did together. Unlike us, prayer wasn't part of their reason for gathering to worship. If you notice, prayer was their primary reason for assembling. They gathered not to sing or to socialize, though both of these are wonderful and great. They gathered to pray, to converse with the Lord as a community. Prayer, in fact, precedes every major event in the life of the early church. Think about it. Prayer precedes the filling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Prayer precedes the multiple healings that we read about in the book of Acts. Prayer precedes the preaching of the gospel, which leads to the conversion of others. Prayer precedes the various launch of ministries, such as the widow's food distribution program in Acts chapter 6, or the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13. And as we witness here, prayer precedes any concern for protection and for their assurance in the face of persecution. My friends, being the church means praying first, before we worry, before we panic, before we try to address issues or solve problems. We are to have a conversation with the Lord. So what can we glean from how the early church prayed based on this passage? Well, there are a couple more things that should stand out to us. To begin with, did you notice? They don't start their prayers by asking God for anything. Now, it can be tempting when we pray to just kind of launch into our list of requests as if we're ordering takeout or something. But the early church started their conversations with God by acknowledging and affirming who the Lord is. Did you catch it in this passage? They declare, you are the one who created all things. And then after this, we see them, as I mentioned earlier, using scripture as the starting point of their dialogue with God. They quote, in fact, the first two verses of Psalm 2 back to God. And in fact, if you read it, they connect those verses first to what Jesus faced from religious and governmental authorities during his time on earth. And then they apply both Psalm 2 and what Jesus did and underwent to what they were currently facing. In other words, by praying through scripture, they recognized and affirmed what they were facing was a result of following Jesus. And having identified what was happening is a part of what it means to walk in the way of Christ, the early church now makes their first prayer request. And what do they ask for? What do they ask for? 
for boldness from the Spirit to continue proclaiming the good news of Jesus in spite of the threats they are facing. Now we come back to that point I wanted to expand on, the one I made a little bit earlier. The focus of much of our prayers today in the church tends to be on individual needs, you know, for someone's health and healing, for safe traveling mercies, for wisdom and discernment about a personal decision, etc., etc. Now I want you to listen carefully. While there is absolutely a scriptural basis, a divine invitation to offer such individual prayer requests, if we canvass the whole Bible, what we'll discover is prayer is never primarily about what individual Christians want or even need. The main focus of prayer, as reflected in the scriptures, is about the mission of God being accomplished through the Lord's people. Something actually we might miss here. The early church wasn't just using Psalm 2 as the launching point of their conversation with the Lord. In fact, in directly quoting to this psalm, they were in fact referencing all of it. This is a very common practice where you would quote part to represent the whole. So the whole of Psalm 2 is in play here as they're lifting up this conversation to God. Listen to one of the verses from Psalm 2 that isn't quoted here, but is definitely what the church had in mind as they prayed. It's verse 7 from Psalm 2, where God the Father speaks to the Son and says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So if you look at the context in Acts chapter 4, the first followers of Jesus weren't just praying for boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel. Through this scripture, Psalm 2, they were asking the Lord to help fulfill his promise to the Son, to Jesus, through them as his followers. In other words, the focus of their prayers was about having the opportunity, the wisdom, the courage, the creativity, and the protection to proclaim the gospel, to share the good news about God's forgiveness and love and plans for this world. The focus of their prayers was about witnessing the presence, the power, and the breakthrough of the Holy Spirit in not just individual lives, but in neighborhoods and nations, to bring justice, mercy, reconciliation, redemption in Christ. Are these the focus of our prayers, church? Again, there is a place for the specific requests we have that we lift up on behalf of ourselves or others, those prayers for health and healing, for safety and wisdom. The question is how much of our conversation, both alone and together with the Lord, is predominated by asking what, for what we want rather than for what God wants. I ask you in the ongoing chaos of this global pandemic, as infections continue to rise, as families are separated, as frontline workers are exhausted, as local businesses struggle, as jobs are lost, as 140 million Americans cannot afford basic necessities and remain uninsured or underinsured, as two million of those Americans live in jails, prisons, and detention centers, the largest incarcerated population in the world, in our country, and they cannot practice social distancing or self-quarantine if they're exposed to the coronavirus. As all these very real health concerns increasingly become politicized, are we conversing with God about how we can be a living witness to the faith, hope, and love of his kingdom for such a time as this in the midst of all we're facing? How we can share the truth about Jesus through our service to others? Are we talking to God about that? Or is our ongoing dialogue with the Lord just focused on our frustrations, our concerns, our discomfort, 
are inconveniences in the midst of COVID-19. The call for racial justice and equality persists in our country and in the world as our brothers and sisters of color continue to experience wrongful and tragic abuse and loss, as we witness law enforcement officers who are faithfully trying to protect and serve all persons, but are becoming targets of violence and harassment in the midst of a criminal justice system that needs to be reformed. Are we crying out to God together for the peace and justice that continues to elude us? Are we praying with or are we praying apart? Or even are we praying against our brothers and sisters of color? Are we opening ourselves up to allow the Holy Spirit to challenge our presumptions, our privilege, even our politics when it comes to accusations of systemic racism? Are we honestly asking the Lord to reveal to us if we're wrong, that racism isn't just a personal problem. It isn't just an individual attitude. Racism isn't just some fading remnant of the past but rather racism is an active and aggressive principality, a predatory and beguiling power that is still ingrained into the structures of our society, including our economy. My friends, instead of shouting at the television or the radio, what if we took our defensiveness right now? What if we took our outright dismissal of what's being said? What if we took our rush to judgment about the movement that is rising in our country, in this world, and turned to God for understanding? What if we wrestled with the spirit instead of debating with each other on social media? And if we actually listened to God speak, what if we heard our Father calling us to acts of confession and repentance, to not just wish, to not just talk, but to actually move toward practical and tangible acts of racial reconciliation, not as some obligatory chore, but as a joyous pursuit of the love and beauty of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. Beloved, where or whom are our opinions being formed from? Is it Jesus? My, my friends, Christ can do through us and in us exceedingly more than we ever thought or imagined. He can. But that means we need to be willing to invite Jesus into the conversations we are having. That means we need to be committed daily, regularly, to talking and listening to the Spirit. It means we need to be devoted to prayer. Tragically, many professing Christians today find it hard to pray. I hear that all the time. They're too busy. They find themselves constantly distracted, and therefore many Christians live their life with Jesus as if prayer is some optional extra in terms of following Christ. Curiously, unlike us, the early church did not find it hard to pray. Together, they found it hard not to pray. Whereas some Christians exist as if prayer is all nice and well, but functionally unnecessary, the first followers of Jesus lived as if prayer was essential. They prayed as if their lives depended on it. It's interesting, isn't it? Whenever we hit a wall, whenever we face a loss, whenever we confront death, we manage suddenly to find the time, the focus, and the words to pray, to talk and to listen to God. But when life is comfortable, when life is good on our terms, prayer suddenly becomes too hard for us. Maybe our problem isn't knowing how to pray. Maybe our challenge is identifying all the competing interests all the busyness and distractions that get in the way of our relationship with Jesus and then reordering our priorities. Because here's the thing, and there's no way around it. The mark of true discipleship, that we aren't just paying lip service to Jesus, but actually following him. The mark that our character and the direction of our lives are being shaped by Christ, that we are disciples, 
is our prayer life. It is being in regular, constant communication with God through prayer. In the Gospels, we clearly see prayer was the foundation of Jesus's life. Jesus never did or said anything that he hadn't been told by the Father. He says this all the time. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he included this phrase, give us this day our daily bread. And implied in that little statement is the expectation that we'd be talking to the Father daily, regularly. Prayer was the centerpiece of the Apostle Paul's life. We see this reinforced both in the account of his travels and encounters in the book of Acts, as well as in his various letters in the New Testament. And throughout those letters, Paul repeatedly instructs us as followers of Jesus to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians, to be constant in prayer, Romans 12, to pray at all times, Ephesians 6, and to continually earnestly be in prayer, Colossians 4 conversing with God, talking and listening through the word and the spirit is presented in the Bible as a learned, habitual practice, something that is intended in our lives to become as instinctive, as natural to us as breathing. In the same way, a human being loses life and eventually dies without continuing to breathe, without a rhythm of continual prayer, a professed Christian, a professed follower of Jesus gradually grinds to a halt, losing the vibrancy of their faith and the power of their witness, becoming nothing more than a so-called Christian in name only. My friends, the early church was a praying church. The body of Christ was born at a prayer meeting on the day of Pentecost, and the disciples, those first followers of Jesus, continued to pray as they went on their way, led by the Spirit, proclaiming the good news of Jesus around the world. Likewise today, to be the church is to be devoted to prayer. As followers of Jesus, we are to remain connected to Christ through a regular, ongoing dialogue of both talking and listening through the Word and the Spirit. And like the early church, when we, through prayer, together get in sync with the heartbeat and voice of God, we will see the Lord's power revealed and poured out in awesome and decisive ways that not only transform our lives, but yes, change the world. Being devoted to prayer is what it means to be the church. Let's be the church.